Okay. Nadine Ban asks, how many reference pictures do you usually use for one part, one painting, and what's the system there? Do you print them out, or do you use the digital version? Um, I only use one image. So I, I take hundreds, or my photographer takes hundreds of images of the same scene. Um, I look through all these images. I pick one image that I want to work from, and my painting is exactly that image. I don't deviate. I don't move things around. Um, you know, I might deviate slightly, like make something lighter or, um, you know, maybe take an object out of the painting. But for the most part, no. The painting is exactly what I see in a photograph. I do a lot of um, manipulating um, to get the photograph the way I want it to look before I start using it as reference. Manipulating colors, manipulating contrast, manipulating things like that. Right. Um, but no, I'm working from one photograph. Um, it, it is an actual photo. I don't put, I know some people put it up on the screen um, and paint from that, but it, it's a photograph that I actually chop up, um, it, I crop it, and so, and then blow up all the different sections. So I have a, um, you know, if it's a body, I have just one, I'll crop the face out and work from a large image of the face. Um, crop the arms out, crop, so that's, and, and again, I'm, I'm not really deviating from the photograph. All right. Are your, the photos that you print out, these cropped, you know, sections, are they to scale with the painting? I try to make them to scale with the painting. Um, I found that if they're, um, Larger than the painting, it becomes very difficult for some reason. If they're smaller, it's okay. Um, but so I try to gauge it so they're the exact same size as, as what I'm working. It just makes it easier. Right. And what size are those prints? Are they like A4 or A3 or? Um, eight, eight and a half by eleven. Um, eight and a half by eleven. Oh yes, that's about an A4. Yeah. Uh, Suma in Bali asks, uh, I'm curious how you transfer your work from photo to canvas. I use a projector. Um, so I used to use, um, I mean, way back I used to grid it. Um, or uh, use, I mean, this is way back. Um, or just eyeball it. Um then I started using uh, transparencies with um, an overhead projector. Um, and, and what I do is I just do a basic outline. So an outline of the composition. So what I do now is I you know, have a digital image. I project it onto the canvas, and I do a basic outline of, of the whole composition. Um, and... How do you get around, like, from using projectors, you can have all sorts of optical distortions, 
you know, there's, there's a, there are problems inherent in using projectors. Mm-hmm. How have you got around them, or what's your process with that? Um, I think the the bigger distortions I find are in the photography itself because I'm doing overheads um, and the camera can only go up so high because of the ceiling. Um, there is a lot of distortion there. Um, I guess it's I don't know if it's a fisheye effect. I don't know what they call it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, so that can be fixed um, when I'm editing the image. Um, in programs, I have a program called Lightroom. Um, a lot of people use Photoshop. I don't know if you can do it in Photoshop, but you can do it in Lightroom where you can um, fix distortions like that. Um, you know, honestly, I've never um, had an issue when I've projected things, um, mainly because I don't care. I'm not trying to hide the fact that I'm projecting anything. It's like, if, it's, if it looks distorted, it's because I projected it. Um, another one of my famous artists that this is making me think of is um, Paul Feniak. Um, he's a Canadian painter. Love his work. Um, and one of the things that is so interesting about his paintings and his compositions is everything looks like it's going to fall off the painting. Like, things are are so... Um, it, nothing is on the correct plane. Like, things are just are, are tweaked a little bit oddly, and it gives his paintings a, a sense of, um, you know, disquiet. Um, un, they're uncomfortable. Um, and so I always think of that um, when I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm always trying to do that just a tiny, tiny bit, like crop things in a weird way that they wouldn't normally be cropped, um, just to give it a little bit of um, making something feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so if things get distorted with the with projecting, I don't I don't care. I I, I wouldn't care about that. Yeah. Um. So do you just kind of make the outlines in pencil or charcoal, or do you actually yeah. paint with the projector, or just? Um. I just use I just use a like a cheap pencil, nothing too dark. Um. And I. I outline it with pen. I outline the image with pencil, and then um, if the pencil's too heavy, or if there's a lot of white in my painting, I'll just take a gum eraser and just sort of wipe off um, any extra uh, um, lead pencil lead. Um, I don't really care um, too much. Like, I don't care about hiding the pencil. I don't care about um, pencil lead getting into my paint too much. I'm not as finicky as it would look. If you you see my paintings um, in real life, they're not quite as, not, not quite as tight as if you're seeing them shrunk down on a digital image which is yeah. how most people see them. So they're not quite as meticulous as, as what you might think they are. Right. For that um, projection 
um, outlining process, do you have a do you do you prepare an image for that? Like, do you do a black and white version or a high contrast image version or anything like that? And then, do you, how detailed are you in the block out? Like, do you block out shadow shapes and or is it just general outlines? Um, that I um, block out shadows. Um, why am I blanking on the first part of the question? Uh, do you prepare a special image for projection? Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a high contrast image? Um, yeah. Um, I, I used to not. I used to just take the digital image, and then I realized, okay, well, wouldn't it be easier if I, um, <laughs> you know, made it high contrast? And I don't do black and white, but I do make it uh, higher contrast. So I do have a... You know, I'm, I use, I make a special one for projecting, yes. Yeah. It just makes the process a lot easier. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I have found that you don't want to um, draw on every single hair and every single, you know, it's easier if you just get the general um, outline of things. But, but yes, I, I will outline where shadows are, where highlights are, um, things like that. Yeah, great. Jessica Morin says, um, Lee, your work is absolutely beautiful and incredibly inspiring. How do you paint without first doing an underpainting? Um, well, thank you, Jessica. Um, I... Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that. I just, um, I don't do layers. I guess that's the way to answer that. I don't paint in layers. I just do one layer. Um, uh, the, my canvas is painted blue to start. So um, the whole canvas is um, like a celadon blue color, a, a greeny blue color. Um, I started doing that when I was working with Alyssa um, because she did it. And so I just started doing this. And then I realized, oh, <laughs> you know, I, just, I don't question it. I just do it. Um, and then I realized, oh, well, I only paint in one layer, so oftentimes, because I'm painting skin a lot, and I'm putting this warm skin tone over this blue background, um, it creates um, a vibration, or, or it, it creates what you really see in your skin. Um, oftentimes, there's blue under the, the yeah. warm colors. Um, and the green, so, the green would help as well. The green tint would help a lot. Yeah. Um, so I start off with just a plain green-blue color. Um, then I put the lines, you know, the pencil lines over it. Um, and then I, I just start, I just start painting. Um, I, I usually work on one section at a time or one object at a time, meaning if I'm painting the skin, the flesh, I do all the flesh. Um, then I'll put, um, I'll start with different objects, um, or then I do the hair, 
then so I, I do I split it up with different objects. Um, yeah. I think it's difficult to answer that question without actually showing somebody, well this is this is how I paint it. Um, yeah. I, uh, yesterday I was looking on Instagram and um uh Kihine Wiley, I'm always afraid I'm gonna mispronounce his name. Um, was doing a demo, has a demo up um, as one of his posts, and I was watching him, and I was like, oh, that's very, very similar to how, to how I paint. Um, but to explain to somebody that, I think that gets, that's difficult. Yeah, it sounds very similar to the way Scott Waddell paints as well. I don't know if you know him. Yes, yes, yes. That would be a good um, yes, because now I'm like, oh yes, I've seen him. I've seen uh, demos that he's done. Yes, like that. Yeah. Um, just going back to your blue uh, ground. How what what um, how how light or dark is that? Is it a, is it a light kind of blue? You know, just in kind of um, you know, is is it a dark or a light ground? That's kind of what I'm getting. At. It's light. Um, maybe like um, like a sky blue, um, something like that. Okay. Um, Mary Brown in California says she's a few questions. Um, are these paintings on canvas, linen, pallum, panel, panel, <laughs> or other? Um, linen. Linen. Okay. Is that? You know, have you experimented with other things and you just arrived that linen is the thing for me or you've just always done that? Uh, I've just always done that. I, I, I'm not an experimenter. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I know people who get deep into um, varnish um, and, you know, what did the old masters do and or making their own paints or um I would like to be that person. I am not that person. I just like you know I was studying with Alyssa. Alyssa, what do you use? I use this. Okay, I'll use this. I I um I wish I was an experimenter, but um I I am not. So Yes, I, I picked up the linen because Alyssa used it. I used the same kind that she was using. Um, once I tried something different and I didn't like it, and so I've gone back to the. If it works, you know, if it's not broke, um, I don't. I I don't try to fix it. So. All right. Yeah. Yours look like uh, panel, though. Are you a, a, a do you paint on panel? Uh, no, they're canvas. I do. I am switching to panels, so I just have this thing for a little. Uh, can I show you one? Little square wooden panels. I'm just really enjoying okay. these oh, little wow. wooden panels at the moment. Okay. So I can stand the hell out of them. That's nothing. <laughs> but that's very interesting. Yeah. I just. Um, I think it's what you're saying. It's like kind of um, part of this process. I was saying of, of like really separating out the painter I'd like to be 
<laughs> and the painter yeah. actually I am. Yeah. So I'm getting more and more comfortable with the painter that I am. And when I kind of looked into that, I was like, yeah, little small panels that I can just sandpaper like crazy and yeah. and beat up a bit if I want to. Right. And, um, yeah, that's really enjoyable. Whereas um, the big canvases are nice, but the bounce was driving me insane. And just the scale, I, I you know, I mean, I, I think it's just a process I'm going through, but I like the idea of just getting nice and small, and I could almost feel like I could get the painting in a headlock. <laughs> <laughs> if I wanted to. <laughs> mm, Whereas the, the big ones are like, no, they they sort of had me in the headlock. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Mary's next question is, how many layers are done on the figure? You've kind of answered that, but you want to yeah. add anything to that? Um, I try to get it all in one layer. Uh, when I'm doing the, the portrait, the face, um, I definitely have never been able to get that in one layer. So I, I do, on the face, I might do two layers, maybe a third with some, a few areas that I yeah. might go into a third time. Um, yeah. But the rest of the painting, I can pretty much get it in one layer. Yeah. It's kind of a, a form of alla prima painting, really, isn't it? But, I, I mean, it's never just talked about in that way because you're doing it in sections similar to Scott and Adele. But it yeah. is like that, though, isn't it? It's just like it's yeah. like each section is in one pretty much go. Yeah. 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 Um, do you, like, pre-mix all your colors then? Say you go, okay, I'm going to do the skin sections and I'm going to mix up all of the skin yeah, uh, colors I, I need. Or do you do it, you mix as you go? Um, I pretty much mix as I go and then save, um, save the colors at the end of the day. If I was working on a fade, um, well, actually, I would mix three of the tones. I would mix the darkest tone, the medium tone, and the lightest tone. And I would mix a big blob of each of those. And then as I go throughout the face, I'm tweaking those those three tones. Um, and then whatever I have at the end of the day, I save, and um, possibly I can use it on a different area, or um, you know I have it to to keep going the next day. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I know people who um, I can't remember whose method this is, but who will um, mix up dozens and dozens and dozens of colors before they go into the painting, which, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's similar to what you were saying. Like, it's, it's kind of a personality thing. You're either into that sort of approach or yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, Mary says, uh, Lee's palettes are always so soothing to look at. Uh, can't you tell us about how she chooses her pigments and if she has any favorites? Her work is beyond stunning. Um, thank you. Uh, you know, um, I just, I don't know if this is the best way to answer this, but I just work from the I get the photograph the way I want it, the colors that I want it, and then um, 
you know, I have my palette of colors that I've used for the past 15 years. I don't deviate from them. It's a pretty small palette. You know, I do two, um, two reds, two yellows, two blues, um, in titanium white. And, um, I seem to be fine with that palette getting whatever I want. Um, but the, the, the colors, you know, the look of the painting really um, gets worked out in the photograph for me. I'm, you know, um, again, I hope I'm answering that question. Um, but, uh, yeah, or, or even you go back to, well, the, the colors get worked out in my head in the image. I see the image, I know what I want it to look like, and that's, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm working from. Yeah, 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 that's, that's certainly what it sounds like, what you were saying, like, when I saw that question, and, yeah, it's like it's all, it's all flowing in behind that image, that very clear mental image you have of what you're going for. So that's all worked out, and then it's just if you can get the, get that to happen in, in their physical space. Right. Right. I'm I'm a very not technical painter. I'm like I was listening to your podcast with Vincent um recently and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like the anti Vincent. <laughs> I'm the exact opposite of you know, there's no, uh, there's no intellectual painting here. It's just like, hey, I have this image. I'm going to put some paint together and, and, and make it. So, yeah. Well, um, from having uh, talked to him a few times on this thing, I'd say he would make a case for that that still is a technical narrative, that that's your technical narrative, is... The, the yeah. you know the, the the shortest distance between two points to get it out of my head onto the canvas. <laughs> it, yeah. it sounds like this what you're, yeah. what you're well, saying. Yeah. 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 Um. So when you said your palette is not that big, how many kind of you've got a warm and a cool of each one of each color? So what's that? That's about ten, is it, or ten or twelve paint? You know, paints you've got going. Actually, eight. I have eight colors. Um, so, I, yeah, two yellows, two blues, two reds, um, titanium white, and then um, transparent red oxide. I, I just kind of call it a – I don't know what you call that color. Um, I don't think about I, – I, I really don't think about warms and cools. I don't think about um, – you know, I, again, I'm just like, I'm probably the the least technical painter you would ever know. And I, I kind of laugh when I have these workshops because a lot of the time, almost, well, I won't even say almost, every single workshop, my students are teaching me things that I didn't know. Um, I'm just not um, uh, I to read 
books on technique or, um, you know, when I was in college, I, I, you know, I went to an art school, but it was sort of a um, do what you want. You know, there was no technique taught, nothing. It was just kind of, you know, this loosey-goosey, just make a painting. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, I definitely, um, I'm just more like, okay, I, I, I see something or I see something in my head and I just, how do I make it? And I just kind of flail around until I, <laughs> until it, it turns into what I want it to look like, yeah. Okay. Um, do you use black? Do you have a black? No. No. no you make I your think own black. That's, um, yeah, I make a black out of um, ultramarine blue, um, transparent red oxide, um, and a little bit of alizarin crimson. Um, and it makes a, a really... Um, I think a very beautiful dark color. Um, so um, I don't have a need for I don't have a need for black. I, it's, right. At one point when I was working with Alyssa, I did use a blue black, um, but then I just slowly I just didn't find I needed it, and so it just made its way out of my palette. Right. Jaden Money or Mooney? Maybe then Mooney. Sorry, Jaden, if I got that wrong. In North Carolina, it says, um, how do you get your work to look so lifelike? The color work um, on the skin is unbelievable. Thank you. Um, you know, I actually, I work, when I say I work really closely with the photograph, I actually match the color to the photograph. Like, I'm literally using a photograph and matching what I have, matching my colors literally to the photograph. So I have like a, um, a plastic over it. So I literally take the color, put it on the photograph. Is that the color of the skin? So again, for me, it's really important to... Um, have the photograph the way I want it. If the photograph, if the skin in the photograph is red, then the skin in my painting is going to be red. Um, yep. You know, too red. Um, yep. So it has to do with having having photo reference that um, that's the way I want it. Yep. It's accurate to the way I want it. So, do you um, have special instructions for whoever is printing your photographs? I print my own photographs. Um, <laughs> so, no, yeah, nobody would be able to. That's the part that nobody else would be able to do for me. Um, I. It takes me a long time to manipulate an image to get it exactly the way I want it, and then. When I'm printing the photographs out, um, I'm going to reams of paper to get, like, I will print it out. It's not right. I tweak it. 
print it out again, not right, I tweak it. But these are, to somebody else, they're probably imperceptible tweaks. Yeah. But to me, it's got to be exactly um, what I want. And also the JPEGs that I'm working with are really high resolution. Um, yeah. You know, you couldn't get these JPEGs from using your iPhone. You know, it doesn't, yeah. you're not going to get, you have to have, I'm, I guess when I started, no, I was just using um, a cheap camera and having friends take photographs. So, yes, I guess you can do that. But it, it makes, it has made my life a lot easier to use a professional photographer and get really um, high-resolution JPEGs to work with or yeah, to work yeah. from. So. And do you have, like, a particularly special color printer and special paper that you use, or is it all pretty normal? Um, well, to me, I found that an Epson printer works really well. I was using a Canon um, in the beginning. I find that Canons tweak everything um, slightly red. I was also using Photoshop, and I'm not, um, I'm not good with technology, so I probably wasn't. Uh, I probably could have figured this out, but I felt like Photoshop, when I processed everything through Photoshop, that would also tweak things too red. Um, so I was using Photoshop and a Canon printer, and things were getting so red um, that it was really, I mean, if you look back, I probably don't show any of these paintings, but if you look back at some of my early work, they're just screaming red. Um, it, it, so I stopped using photograph, uh, Photoshop, I started using Lightroom, and I switched to an Epson printer, which I felt um, printed flesh tones very accurately. Um, nice. Unfortunately, the Epson printer that I have now um, is, is like the next iteration. I used to have an Epson RR2000, which was fabulous. And they don't make it anymore. I have an Epson, uh, what is it? An Epson, I can't remember, and I can't read it. It's like a, something like a P600 or something. Um, does not do very well with flesh tones. It's okay. It's better than a Canon. But, um, and then I use Epson paper. Um, so, yeah, since I'm working so closely with photographs, yeah, it really makes – your printer and your photo paper are extremely important if you're working from reference that you're printing out yourself. Um, yeah, so I found that Epson does the, the flush tone um, the best. Right. And then if I understood you correctly, you were saying you have the photo, the printout, not the photo, mm -hmm. and then you have, a, you have a layer of plastic over it, and then you actually will dab mm -hmm. paint on the plastic to check that it's the same as the photo. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. That's brilliant. That's that inspired. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know if I should say that. You know, I don't know if I should say that or not, because a lot of people, I, I get, would be aghast at that. 
Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, you lost, lo you lost loads of people back with the projector. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure. And, see, I don't care. It's like, I I don't care. Um, to me, I think I'm making a piece of art, and I will use whatever tools I need um, or desire to make that piece of art. Um, if I choose to make um, you know, I might start making art with toothpicks and, you know, bubble gum. If that's what I want to use, um, I think that, you know, that, that conversation has always really irritated me. And I don't think it's just irritated me because that's how I work. Um, it irritates me because I think it's very limiting. Now, at the same time, I will say that um, only because I've been using this process for 15 years, this process has become limiting to me. Um, like I said earlier, I'm, I am just exhausted by it. I'm tired by it because I've done it for so long. I have become bored. Um, and... And now is the process for me of finding some other way of working. And I'm feeling more and more like um, maybe I need to just start working from life again. Um, not use photographs. Um, not use a projector. Not because I don't think it's valid. I think it's completely valid. Um, but because I just want to make different art in a different way now. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I've just, I've just did that for too long. And it's like anybody else in any other career, oh, I've been a teacher for 15 years. Now I want to go be a stockbroker. You know, I, I don't think it's any different than, than that. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's it's right. My, I think it's right. That's my I think feeling it's, about that. <laughs> I think it's refreshing. And I understand, like, the very purist, no, everything has to be exactly the way Michelangelo did it. You know, I can understand that, and if that's your thing, that's great. But then I don't, but I don't think it's good to be in that, to have that perspective and then kind of denigrate someone who's not doing it exactly the way you think they should right. be doing it. And if it, they're not doing it that right. way, they're not really doing it. No, I don't think that's on at all. I think whatever. Right. So I agree. There's a space, there's a place for everything. Yep. Um, okay. Jessica Morin again. Well said. Oh, thank you. Uh, Jessica Morin says, uh, do you use any painting mediums? Uh, no. I, well, I can't say no. Um, I use linseed oil, um, but I don't really I try not to put it in my paint, if that makes any sense. Um, I can't use any type of thinner um, because I can't stand the smell, and I just feel it after so many years. It's just anything toxic I can't be around. Um, I'm 54, so I've been painting for a long time, and um, it just got to the point where I can't, you know, being in a room with anything toxic, I can't do it. 
Um, so even my paints, like I won't use cadmium, things like that. Um, but I do use linseed oil, but I mainly use it as I'm painting to clean out my brushes between colors. Now in that process, the linseed oil will get on my brush and it gets into my paint. Or sometimes if the paint is just too thick, um, I will put linseed oil, a tiny bit of linseed oil in my paint. Um, when I was using a, a smoother surface, uh, I did have to put something in my, I did have to put linseed oil in my paint um, because if I didn't, it wouldn't take to the surface. So I would assume if I was painting on panel or something that's smoother, I would start putting linseed oil in the paint. Um, but but working on a, a bit, um, you know, a rougher surface, um, I, I don't find that I need anything. The, the paint takes to the canvas or the linen. Okay. And how do you go then with drying times if you're not using any kind of thinner or anything like that? Um, I usually, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with the drying times. I, I, I usually hope that my paint at least doesn't dry overnight so that I can continue working into it the next day. Um, because I don't paint in layers, um, it's not a concern for it to dry quickly. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of working from, on my canvas, I'm working from left to right. So if I'm, I'm moving along, like even if I'm, even if I'm only working on, let's say, the, the face, I'm working on the face from left to right. That's okay. mainly because I'm, I'm right-handed. I'm guessing you're right-handed. And I don't want right. to, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to smear anything. Um, so what I try to do is I'm, as I work along, I either try to find a place where um, I can break it so that if it dries overnight, it won't be super obvious when I start working back into yeah, it. Right. So, you know, maybe try to finish the forehead and break it right at the eyebrows so that I can yeah. work start into the eyebrows the next day and you won't see a big line. Um, yeah. But drying time, I, um, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't have any issues yeah. with it. Um, so I, I, I just never really thought about it. Yeah, now if I understand it right, anyway, it's your, it's your whole, the whole painting is kind of, even though you're doing it in sections, it's so like once the section's finished, it's finished. You don't have to go back to it or anything like that. So that drying thing wouldn't right. matter. Yeah. But what, have you had any, yeah. um, I've had other painters talk about it, and I've seen it myself a bit as well, is that you get everything exactly the way you wanted color-wise, and then, you know, in a month, different paints have dried different in a different way and the color changes slightly. Has that been a thing for you? Um, not really. Um, no, I think that there was a time when I was had like um, one of the colors in my palette, uh, maybe sepia or something, but this is a long time ago 
where it would cause things to dry um, kind of blotchy, like some parts of it would dry darker, some parts um, would be dull. Um, you know, you, most of that I usually find when you varnish it, that fixes everything. Um, in regard to things changing color, to me, I, you know, I feel like maybe this is because I'm, I'm matching from a photograph. It, it, if, if all the flesh, you know, whatever you're painting the flesh in, when it dries, it gets darker. It doesn't matter because all of the flesh is going to dry and yeah, get darker. Yeah, it's uniform. Yeah, I get it. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and again, I find that um, varnishing kind of hides a lot of, uh, or can fix a lot of problems. So. What kind of varnish do you like? Oh gosh, I just use I use something. I think it's Charvin. Um, it's just you know store bought uh, varnish. Um, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm not I, I'm not the technical person right. who is, is it matte or who glossy? goes deep into this. The finish. I, you know, I wish I could find a. It's a retouch varnish. Um, so, I didn't know the difference. Varnish, um, like you can't varnish, if, you know, I guess everybody knows this one. You can't varnish, you have to wait for it to dry six months or a year or something before you varnish. Well, if you use a retouch varnish, which I found out, um, you can do it right away. Yeah. So, because normally when I make a painting, I'm making a painting in... I'm lucky if I have um, five days before I have to ship that painting to my gallery. So, um, so I've, I started using the retouch varnish. Um, unfortunately, I like a matte finish, but I can't find a retouch varnish that gives a matte finish. Um, but I found that this Charvin is the least glossy. I don't like... I don't like anything glossy. Um, so that's what I use. Um, yeah, and I'm... I'm Gamvar. I've heard a few people talk about Gamvar. It's a similar kind of thing that you can you know, use it straight away. I, I, a lot of people use this Gamvar. I have never tried it, but my... What I've also heard about the Gamvar is it, it's glossy. Oh. Or maybe I just have that thought in my head that it's too glossy. Um, I, haven't, I haven't used it, but, I don't know, but I've, I've heard people okay. raving about it, yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah, and I actually have a little tiny tube of it. I think some, I got it, it was sent to me in something else that I ordered. Um, and I should try it, because so many people will talk about it. But I definitely, I, I just, I don't like that glossy thing. Um yeah. But the varnish discussion, it's just funny because it's when I, when I realized, oh, maybe I shouldn't be using regular varnish on these paintings that have only been dried for five days and I'm shipping them off to a gallery and I thought, oh, I better figure something else out. And I 
at the time I was on Facebook, um, I'm not anymore, but um, I posted something on Facebook, you know, just asking other artists, like, what do you use for varnish? And I have to say that the conversation got so nasty. Like, <laughs> people were so, yeah, it was, it was, I had to take the post down. I had to take the post down because people were so, so horrible about um, just, you know, oh, you, you idiot, you use blah, 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 and they were just being so nasty to each other. Or varnish. So yeah. like, I'm just going to buy something from the store um, and get off the... Yeah. So that was the last time I asked a, um, a technical art question on social media. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the art world is like anything else. You know, it's like it, you get, you know, art one-upmanship, art pride... Art, uh, jealousy, right. art, you know, it's just the same people. When you get groups right. of people together, you're going to get all that sort of stuff. <laughs> sort of what I meant about with the projector stuff, you know, that's right. all art one-upmanship, you know. Now my process is more pure than right. your process. <laughs> right. Um, right. Okay, Jessica Moran has another question. She's asking about favorite brushes or paints. Do you have a favorite type or make of brush uh, or palette knife that you like to use? Um, for brushes, I use Princeton Series 6100. Um, it's kind of a, it's uh, not a stiff brush. It's not a really soft brush. It's kind of a medium. They're synthetic. Um, I, that was another holdover from working with Alyssa. Um, uh also, I um, I was vegan for quite a while, so I would only use synthetic um, bristles. I still use them. I'm now sort of transitioning to a, um, a stiffer brush specifically for oil paint. But I think those were, um, I'm not sure if they were acrylic brushes or just multi-purpose brushes or what they, the Series 6100s. Um, but I really like them. Um, and I mean, you know, rounds or flats um, or filberts or mix. Um, I I only use rounds and filberts just because that's yeah. I like rounds and filberts. So um, in a range, you know, obviously little really tiny ones for the small areas and big ones when I'm doing you know, larger areas of flesh or something. Um, in regards to paint, um, I use um, uh, Gamblin, um, Winter Newton, um, Old Holland, uh, and I think those are the three, those are the three brands that I would use for paint. Okay. Um, how do you check yourself as you're working? So we've talked about the, the photo, the printed out, you know, like this kind of, you know, some lots of artists have different ways of doing it, like they're squinting or they're jumping back and forth or they use mirrors or turning the canvas upside down or taking pictures. What do you do? Um, no, I have to laugh because, like, I wish I did any of those things. I am the laziest painter ever. Um, 
I really have a habit of um, just uh, just starting to paint and just um, I just sit there for hours, hours without moving or checking my work. Um, it's really bad habit. I'm definitely like don't you know do what I say, don't do what I do. Um, I mean, I'm always telling myself, you know, stand back or get a mirror or, um, you know, something. But uh, no, I don't. I I do not check my work. I do not. Uh, I I don't do any. And, and you know, you think 15 years of this, um, constantly telling myself. Um, no, I hope someday. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It doesn't sound like you need to, because it sounds like you're working in a different kind of way, because it sounds like a lot of the work that, um, you know, that you would have to be checking, you know, jumping back and forth and doing all those kind of things. You've already done it. Like, you've done it, you know, in the photo, photo shoot stage, the Photoshop stage. So when it comes to the actual painting, it's almost a very different kind of process. It's not the. It's not. Um, it doesn't fit into that kind of m m model of painting. That's true. Like, yeah. That is true. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I shouldn't even say this. My husband makes fun of me and tells me that I'm doing paint by numbers. <laughs> he he means it. <laughs> he means it in a way that makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, you it. it uh, <laughs> nobody's going to follow me anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's all over. I'm telling all my horrible. <laughs> you wanted a career, career change, but you're gonna you're gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, what sort of lighting setup do you have in your studio? Um. I do find that lighting is really, really important, and that's because I used to not pay any attention to it. Um, so what I have now is I, I have track lighting um, with diffused bulbs and, oh, I can't remember, um, I can't remember where I get They're very expensive diffused bulbs, and I can't even remember where I get them. Um I would like them to be a uh, higher Kelvin bulb, um, but I can't find diffused bulbs in a high Kelvin. So what I do is I counter that with, I have, um, you know, lights set up, one pointed at my, the canvas that I'm working on, and one pointed at my palette um, that are a very high Kelvin. I think they're 6,500. Um, so I do find that the the coolness of the light makes an enormous difference. Um, yeah. And I have found that with the lighting system I have now, I can take a painting out of my studio and, and put it in the gallery, and it's going to look the exact same in the gallery as it does in my studio, okay. where when I was not paying attention to lighting, I would take the painting out of my studio, and it would look totally different in the gallery. Right. The, the yeah. colors would just drastically change. 
Um, so yeah. I do think that lighting is is very important um, right. in you know I, in the 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 6500 Kelvin lights that I use they're just things that I get at um, you know the hardware store um, and I can't remember. I can't remember what brand it is, but it's the 6500 Kelvin yeah. light. Yeah, it's a it's a whole thing, as you say, lighting, because some artists, they set up the studio lighting for uh, daylight, you know, like the paint by the north light and all that kind of thing. Others are, will set it up for galleries um, or museum kind of standard lighting, and then other people set it up for domestic lighting because it's like, well, that's ultimately where it's going to end up is in someone's house with, you know, normal kind of lighting. So, but it's, uh, like, of, of them all, I think yours is probably the most practical because if you're selling through galleries, <laughs> you want it to look the way you want it to look in that shop window, let's call it. Um, uh, well that's interesting because I actually to be honest I've never thought about it that way Um, that that you you know to think about um, the different lighting in somebody's home the different lighting in a gallery I'm actually just thinking about the warm and cool of it is you know, before I was just using regular, you know, bulbs. Well, I was using regular bulbs that you would use in your house, and it would look terrible in the gallery. I don't know. Whatever I'm doing is working for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not going to think about it. I'm just I'm not going to think about it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Good. If you're thinking to yourself, God, I'm really enjoying this podcast. I've listened to a few now and they're brilliant. And there's so many of them. And I've learned so much from listening to them. And you know what? If I met that John Dalton fellow in real life, I'd love to buy him a cup of tea and have a chat with him. I'd love to do that every month if I could. Well, now you can. The tea part, at least, because this podcast runs on cups of tea bought for me by people like you who listen to the podcast and send me the price of a cup of tea once a month through the Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash John Dalton, Gently Does It, all one word. And if you're one of those people who already send me cups of tea through Patreon, thanks a million. The tea is lovely, and I really appreciate it. Now, the great thing is that if you can't afford to send me the price of a cup of tea or you don't want to, that's fine. You still get exactly the same podcast for free. It's sort of an honor system where the people who can afford it and want to pay for the people who can't or don't want to. So it's all lovely. So if you'd like to send me a cup of tea once a month, you can do that through Patreon. I'd really appreciate it. It makes a huge difference to me. Uh, what, if anything, do you listen to as you work? Um, I used to not be able to paint if I didn't have music constantly going in you know, whatever music I was into at the time. Um, then it went into like audiobooks and then um then I got really it had this period where I was really into political podcasts. Um and that got super oppressive. Um yeah, and then um 
And then I got into really new agey podcasts, like um, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know, Caroline Mace, and I don't know if you know any of these people. Um, or maybe, you know, Buddhists like Pema Chodron, um, things that were very, I guess, you know, people would call them new agey things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Jack Cornfield, do you like Jack Cornfield's stuff? You know, I I haven't really read or listened to him, but yeah, that, I mean, I, I should, that's um, on my radar. Yeah. 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 So, no, he's he's lovely. I like listening to him. Okay. Yeah. So then, you know, I would say that's been a long time. That's really um, what I um, what I listen to. But yeah, I usually do have to listen to to something. Um, what do you What do you do? Do you listen? To um, well, at the moment, I can't listen to anything. <laughs> oh really? I find it too. I find it too okay. distracting when I'm painting. Yeah, okay. but it's because I'm doing that thing of, um, I want to really stay with whatever it is that that mm-hmm. visually stimulated me or caught my attention. And I find, um, when I was, you know, painting as a kind of form of expression rather than exploration, then, I, it, you know, my mind could leave a little bit because it was more kind of a, a process of matching and all that kind of thing whereas this kind of way I'm painting at the moment is much more I have to be a lot more present <laughs> to what's going on for me as I'm painting right I can I can see that because um, I haven't painted in a long time but the last I was painting I was starting to do something new still life where I really needed all of my brain to focus on it and I found that trying to listen to something did become irritating. It was like, okay, I can't, especially when I was listening to someone talk, like, um, yeah. you know, like a podcast or something like that. It was like, okay, okay, I can't, I can't focus on either of them. I couldn't focus on what I was doing, and I couldn't focus on what I was listening to. So yes, uh-huh. I could see that. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Okay, so this Bishan Singh in India says, Hi Lee, your work is absolutely amazing and yummy. And then they've got a lot of food emojis. Uh, I'd love to know what all goes in the process of making such detailed and realistic paintings. Do you ever feel the pressure of making slightly loose work so that you can get more painterly, so you can get a more painterly look in your work? Um, thank you. Um... It, I don't know that I call it, it I didn't feel a, a pressure to do that because when I was, yeah, when I was painting in this technique, it was the technique I wanted to paint in. Um, now that I'm um, kind of feel, I feel like I've exhausted my interest in this, um, yeah, I, I think I would go in the direction of um, painting more loosely. Yes, I would. I am interested now in painting more loosely, um, in a looser way. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that I felt a pressure to do that. Um, I definitely 
when I'm when I'm when I was making these paintings, um, I believed in what I was doing. Um, you know, there was no in my head. Oh, you should be doing this or that. It was like I no, I I I really had confidence. I really knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, so it's more that I feel internal pressure. I, you know, not I'm not getting pressure from outside. Like, oh, you should be more painterly. You should not use a projector. You should. Um, it's more in, internal. Um, like, okay, well, you're bored now. Time to do something else. Okay, but I have to pay my rent too. Well, you know, it's more that. Like, um, you know, that's a, and and then that goes into a whole other, a whole other uh, topic of 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 the whole job thing. Well, this is a job now. Well, this is what your gallery expects of you. Um, you know, can I take a year off and just explore and do what I want? Well, it looks like that's what I'm doing. So, or it's turning into two years at this point. So, yeah. So. Okay. Uh, Sharon Pomales, Tuesday. Sorry if I got that wrong. In Ohio, says I can look at your work all day, every day. Lee and never get tired. So great. Uh, heart emoji. Are you still sewing all the clothes you wear on your paintings? Um, for that portrait series, I did. Um, well, I originally didn't sew them because I didn't know how to sew. Um, I would cut the patterns and um, I would take them to a local seamstress. And she would sew them up for me. And then I started making all the dresses myself. And I, you know, that series is done. I'm not doing that anymore. But I got so into sewing that, um, that yes, now I'm, I'm making clothing um, for myself. Um, it's, uh, it's now it's a, a hobby of mine that I'm very interested in. So how far have you gone into it? Like, because cutting patterns is not easy. That's like pretty advanced already. Um, I'm way into it. I was um, taking lessons from um, a local uh, woman who does couture sewing, a lot of hand sewing. Um, that you can't really. They don't teach the. Uh, it's hard to find somebody that teaches this um, mm. way of making clothing. So I'm I'm big into it. Like I just I'm you know I, I'm not good at it because I'm not don't have much experience yet. But um, I really um, I, I I started thinking, huh? I wonder if I could start making art out of textile, like. Um, I found it um, – I'm very interested in the textile 
um, aspect of it because it's um, traditionally a woman's um, work um, or thought of as, and, um, you know, just thinking of the aspects of ele elevating that into a form of art and then thinking of it, well, clothing already is really a work of art. Um, I, there's just a lot of uh, aspects of it that, that really interest me. Yeah. Textile, yeah, yeah. The, the clothing, the, yeah, the creativity of it. Even mm -hmm. the math of it I find interesting, the, how to fit a garment to someone. It, it, I find it very interesting. So... Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's fascinating, and it's fascinating to see someone who knows what they're talking about and knows how to do it. Like if you, I've, you know, if I've seen a few documentaries about um, some of the fashion houses, I think the last one I saw was a, I think it was Karl Lagerfeld. Um, who's he with? Is he Vogue? I mean, I know he's oh, I don't, right now, but I don't remember. I think he was Vogue. Let's let's say it was Vogue, right? But he was, you know, getting the spring summer collection. I'm totally fudging this here now, but he was getting some collection together, yeah. and to, you know, it, it, to start off with the kind of, just seems like, he, you know, he would draw it, kind of sketches for the for the outfits, um, but then when they were sort of showing them, the, the adjustments he would make, it, you know, it kind of all looked the same to me, and then he'd make an adjustment and go, oh yeah, that, that's, that's like so obvious, of course, that's the right, right thing to do, to take this bow off, or to add this, or took this, right. or whatever. Uh, it's quite quite lovely to see somebody like really who, who knows what they want and right. knows how to get there. Yeah. Right. Okay, Julian Davis in Asheville, former guest um, of the podcast and friend of the mm -hmm. podcast as well, um, and he says, "I know uh, Lee's work from Evoke Contemporary Gallery, so I'm looking forward to this. Did cinema inspire her often aerial point of view?" Um, has she plans to explore other points of views in future work? Um, yeah, now that this series is over, um, the point of view is really specific to this series, and it wasn't something that I thought, oh, well, I want to say this particular thing, so I'm going to use this particular point of view. It was more like I stumbled upon it and then realized what I was doing. So, as I said, this series is about um, my compulsive eating disorder. Um, and a lot of people interpret the aerial point of view as, like, a God's eye view, but it's not. It's actually me looking down on myself um, in the midst of um, a compulsive eating episode. And... Um, you know, I have friends who have had issues with drugs, drug addiction, um, and they they say it's the same thing. It's like an out-of-body experience where you're in the middle of a, um, a compulsive episode and you kind of leave your body and you look down on yourself and you can see, you can see yourself doing this act, whatever the act is, you know, compulsive eating, taking drugs, whatever the act is, and you're watching yourself and you can't stop, but you're watching yourself not be able to stop. And so, really, the bird's eye view is me. It's not 
a voyeuristic thing. It's not a God's eye view. It's me looking at myself. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what the, that point of view is. There's an, so there's an element of shock in that perspective as well. Like when you can see yourself doing something that you can't stop doing, it's almost like the shock brings you up to to feel that kind of out of body thing. That's my experience of it anyway. Is, right. is that similar for you? Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. Alan Reed says, um, "How you do or show?" Oh, sorry, do you do or show any preliminary drawings of your work? Um, I like the use of the bird's eye view and masterful, masterful foreshortening. Uh, it's quite unconventional for figurative art where the viewer usually has direct eye contact with at least one figure in the painting. Is this approach intentional? So you kind of covered that, but is there anything else you want to sort of say that has been sparked by his question? Mm. Hmm. Nothing's coming. Nothing that I haven't said is coming to mind. I feel like I feel like I've you said it, yeah. I've said it, yeah. Um. Okay. Ryan C. McClellan in South Carolina says this work is fantastic! Exclamation mark. Um. It says so many things at once and leaves me with a lot more on my mind. Uh, great food for thought. My question is, would it be conceivable for you to ever create a composition with an additional figure or figures, or would that compromise something in the context of the other work? Cheers and thanks. Again, um, I covered that, but is there anything you want to add? Yes. Um, no, I mean, thank you for the compliment. Um, uh, no, I mean, when I was, you know, it, I could see doing paintings with a bunch of figures if I'm talking about a different subject. Um, but yes, the single figure is specific to what I'm talking about for this series. Okay. Uh, Sophie Plata says, why food? I mean, why the work you do? I absolutely love it. And Anna Whitechip in Poland says, hi, John. Hi, Lee. These are similar questions. So I've mm -hmm. grouped them together. Uh, love your paintings, says Anna. Uh, my question. I remember from a couple of TV series and film scenes where the main character, woman in brackets, eat a whole meal, usually a cake or something supposed to be for a large number of people. Uh, she prepares for this like for battle, like for a race, for something or for something very important. Somehow uh, it's connected with being female and the consequences of actions. Uh, to eat the whole cake you baked or drink uh, the whole beer you brewed. The process of eating could be seen from very different points of view. Uh, this is only one feeling or thought connected with eating. How is it in your case? Uh, why do you paint portraits of eating, and what is it for you? Um, you know, again, I, I think it, um, it, I, I covered this in, um, you know, the paintings are about Compulsive eating and my compulsive eating. Um, yeah. um, I think that anyone who has ever had uh, any form of eating disorder, normally those people look at my paintings and they see it right off. It's not, I, I'm not, I never set out to, um, 
to be a spokesperson for eating disorders, to even discuss eating disorders. I just made these paintings, um, and I don't need or want or intend for people to understand what they are. Um, and a lot of people don't, and to the point where, um, I should, again, I shouldn't say this, but my gallery was very reticent to tell people what they were about. Um, uh, and that's fine with me. I'm not trying to make a statement. Um, and I like that different people look at these paintings and get different things out of them. Um, you know, a lot of time it's just people get have the reaction of, um, you know, person um, being, um, uh, you know, just extravagant with food, like in a light-hearted yeah. way, and that's that is fine. Like I, again, I'm not um, uh, a quote that. Um, well, th I guess this is a little bit, this is different than what I'm saying, but there's a quote that's coming to mind, um, the personal is the universal. So, um, I do feel like I can paint about my situation, um, and some people might think, oh, that's so egotistical, you sit around and you just make all these paintings about yourself all the time. To the point where I'm just making big tons of portraits, just my my face and all the time, and it's just about me and blah blah blah. But I really do believe that um, if I tell my story, um, it's the story of a lot of other people also. And even if it's not that exact story, if I'm being honest, I think that other people will. Um, will see their own story, whatever, even if it's completely different than my story, we'll see something in it. Um, and then, you know, and then there's a lot of people that don't connect to them at all, and that's fine, and, you know, you just, I just put it out there. It's my stuff, and I just put it out there and, you know, get the reaction that I get. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, okay, Zena uh, Brunstead Stewart says, "Oh, I adore Lee Price's work, John. I would like to know. I'm curious to hear how your audience. She's talking to you. She's not talking to me. I'm curious to hear how your audience has responded to such an intimate, complex, weirdly public narrative as women and food. I mean, what a tricky subject!" Exclamation uh, mark. Do you think? Do you think having portrayed slim, pretty women has affected how the viewers have reacted to the work, negatively or positively? And then, P.S., your series surfacing are some of my favorite paintings ever. Aww. Well, thank you. Um, so there's a couple different things. Um, y yes, I think um, when people don't realize that they're all self-portraits, so obviously the women all look the same, um, and, yeah, I'm by, you know, I'm considered slim. Um, yes, I do get that. Like I said, I do get that question a lot. Like, why are all the, you're just paying a whole bunch of these, you know, slim white women. 
Um, and again, the answer is because it's, they're all me. You know, I'm, I've used myself as a model. They're all me. Um, you know, but on the other hand, I've had people, and I can remember, I can remember somebody asking me, and this was, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, so my body has changed. I look different. Um, I'm much older. Um, but I can remember, you know, 15 years ago, somebody asking me, well, what are you going to do when you get older? And I didn't understand the question. I was like, what do you, I, I, I don't get it. I'm, you know, and th- he was in, insinuating, when I get older, I can't paint myself anymore because I won't be uh, a young woman. And I just, I, it was like, wow, you're missing the point. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if I'm heavy or, or slim or old or young or, um, that's, that's just not the point. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of on this topic. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think the, if people don't understand that they are all self-portraits, yes. The main question is, um, why do you keep painting this, which kind of makes me laugh, this sort of, um, uh, I, I hate to use the word idealistic because I don't, I don't, I certainly am not model-like, but, um, why you keep painting the same type of woman all the time? And so the simple answer is, it's, you know, they're self-portraits. Um, I I I like that um, she's talking about the surfacing series because um, I don't think I've got I I don't think I've gotten a big response from the surfacing series. Um, um, and I really love that series, like, I can tell you paintings that I cringe at that I've done, um, and I can tell you the ones that I'm really, that I'm so happy. And this surfacing series, I really do, um, I really am happy with that series. I really did connect with that. I painted that when I was turning 50, um, and um, it has a lot to do with, uh, how, you know, I think especially as women, how in maybe women of my generation, um, we um, can try to kind of contort ourselves or um, try to um, conform to how we should be or or how we lose ourselves and um, there are these, a series of five paintings, um, overhead, just me in a tub, and my body is being, um, distorted by, by the water. Um, and it, and it is about distortion and, um, and purposely distorting yourself. And, um, you know, there's even, you can even think of how we literally, with um, with surgery, distort ourselves. Um, yeah. Plastic surgery. Um, so to me, I think there was a lot in those paintings, and um, you know, 
the response I get um, has been sometimes more towards, oh, woman relaxing in tub. And it's like, you know, so what, what do you do? I, I still like them. I, I'm very happy with that series. But I, I appreciate that she, um, she brought those up. So thank you. And that series came after the Women in Food series, didn't it? Yeah, that was really, um, other than I did this series of just straight portraits, um, that was the last series that I did, yeah. Okay. And with the uh, eating disorder, um, like I know from the little bit I know about it, that it's not a case of, oh, well, that was that happened like, you know, I had this problem, or I had this you know, disease or whatever way you describe it, and now it's finished and everything's great. It's a kind of an ongoing thing. Um, so how did making the paintings impact your process to do with that, like coming to terms with it and working through it? And then how did, how did the surfacing series fit into that story? Um, well, you know, when I was when I started the Women in Food series, um, I have to say, I once I, I was completely recovered from compulsive eating because it did pop up here and there. Um, but I would say I was um, definitely um, uh, more recovered than, you know, in recovery or recovered. Um, you know, the, my struggles with um, food started when I was, you know, 40 years ago, when I was very young. So um, it was a really long process, decades-long yeah. process, um, to now where I will say that with food, um, I um, – I, I'm comfortable with food. Um, I don't have those struggles that I had. However, those struggles have popped up in other forms. Um, you know, and to be honest, and I've, I've talked about this on my, um, on social media, um, I struggle with anxiety now. I have a, a, a really, um, uh, a really difficult issue with anxiety. Um, so, you know, possibly my food stuff is morphed into the anxiety stuff. Um, for me, you know, and I have people ask me that a lot, like, like um, has working, you know, did I work something out while I was working on these food paintings? But I feel like um, it's more like, I was recovered for the most part so I could talk about it now. I don't know that I could have painted about it when I was in the middle of it. Um, so um, I, I, I don't even know that even when I did the first painting, I didn't even realize what it was about. Like when I did the first painting was full where I just had a, was lying on the ground and there was all these desserts around me. And I was like, oh, I, I really connect with this. And then it dawned on me, oh, well, of course you connect 
to it, you're yeah. painting about your eating disorder. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and, and then, you know, but then I think, okay, well, I've painted about it enough. Um, I've said everything I can say about it. And I'm not saying that maybe someday I might not go back and do more paintings about it, but I feel like um, I've said everything I, I can say about it. And then I started doing this surfacing series, which, like I said, it, it really had to do with um, that time in my life. I was turning 50, um, getting a little better at recognizing when I was um, contorting myself um, to, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big people pleaser, um, you know, this is how I should be, um, so it was, it really was a reflection of that time in my life, um, and again, I don't think I was really work. you know, nothing gets worked out when I do my paintings, it's more, um, I don't, it's almost like dreams, like having a dream, and then you can analyze the dream. So I have this dream, I make it concrete, and then I can analyze it. Like, oh, I see, you know, um, I see what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. But I don't think I, I work things out, really. You know, it doesn't, I don't know that it helps me other than, making, you know, it's a creative process, which is in itself, you know, helpful to your life. Yeah. If I understand what you, you know, how you're describing it, it sounds like the making of the paintings is more like a cataloging process, like this happened, um, you know, rather than, as I say, you know, work, working anything out through the right. painting to do with, say, the eating disorder. But it also sounds like that through, it, it has a kind of quality of closure to it. It's almost like if I can, catalog, you know, as I'm cataloging this, I'm indirectly telling myself that that is finished now. That particular bit is finished. Is that? Um, yeah, I didn't think about that. But, yeah, um, yeah, that that is what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Um, okay, Jessica Mia Vito in Michigan says, Hello again, John. Please ask Lee Price for me, how do you search for relevancy in the subject matter of your works? Thank you. I'm a huge fan. So you've touched on this a bit, but is there anything else you want to say about that? Um, no, just that, um, you know, I think relevancy is, you know, our creativity is relevant. Whatever you want to make, it's it's relevant just because you want to make it. Um, yeah. You know, that's that would be my answer. Yeah, and I think your work really—it's a real demonstration of that. Like from what I was saying earlier on about you know people thinking it's multiple different people. Um, <laughs> which is, which is, you know, like I know it's not, you know, what you were intending, but it just speaks to the universality of your work and what, you know, what you were saying about the personal being universal 
I think your, your work's a great demonstration of that. So if it's relevant to you, then it's going to be relevant to, it's going to communicate. Uh, John Steed in California, former podcast guest, says, how much time do you spend in the bathtub on an average week? Well, now I don't spend any time because we just moved and there's no bathtub in my house, um, which is <laughs> very upsetting. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I like to take baths. Um, when, on a serious, you know, to, to bring it to a serious thing, when I was um, shooting these things, if a bathtub scene, I would have to be in a bathtub for like eight hours in a day, which was, um, you try doing that, and it's, <laughs> especially when the bathtub is filled with lemon slices, it's a little acidic, um, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, just sounds like another Friday, another Friday night for me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I I don't think I spend any more time in the bathtub than any normal person. So yeah, just okay. get that. Uh, Jay Elliott Manson says, "Have you ever actually ate in the bathtub?" I uh, I get that question too. Um, that's not the first time. No, I I have to say I don't. Other than shooting the scenes, I do not remember ever eating food while taking a bath. Okay. I've had a glass of wine, but <laughs> as far as I've gone. Okay. Um, Stuart Dunkel in Boston says, tell her she's a great teacher. Uh, thank you, Stuart. Um, yeah, no, Stuart? He was, he, yes, he was one of my fabulous um, workshop students and a fabulous artist himself. So. Good. Um, Diana Carolina uh, says, Hi Lee, this is Caro in Mexico. I took your workshop last year and you were a very sweet and kind woman and I admire you even more since then. Um, I read in a book that there was a time when you weren't focused on painting until you moved back to New York and took classes. I'd like to know where and how you found that focus. Um, hi, Caro. Um, yes, Caro was another one of my workshop students, and she is a fabulous, fabulous artist herself. Um, of course I remember you. Um, yeah, um, I, well, I graduated from college, went to L.A., kept painting, actually, but really in a lost way, went to New York, moved back to New York, um, and then I, I started studying, did a lot of CE classes. Like, I, that's how I found Alyssa. I did CE classes in New York Academy, um, CE classes. Um, CE. Um, continuing ed. Like, um, so I didn't enroll full time. I just took a class here and there with some different. Okay. Um, studied drawing with um, Dan Thompson, who I thought was fabulous. Um, so, um, you know, I think the until now I've never had a problem being focused because I was so um, intent on this is what I wanted to do. I want, you know, it's all I wanted to do. There was no other job, no other, so that made it easy. Um, I could 
you know, living up in Beacon, at one point I was commuting into the city every day, which is a two-hour commute each direction. Um, coming home, you know, after working 12 hours, coming home and going to my studio until, you know, midnight. Um, I had that drive um, because I so this is really all I wanted to do. So that was where the focus was. Um, you know, I, I think in my life I I go through phases where I just get very lost. I'm in I'm in my lost phase now. Um, the drive is gone. I'm not sure what I want to do. Um, but yeah, I think that that it just came from uh, my desire to want to make paintings. Yeah. So, so um, you you can't really say then where you found it. It just kind of happened, did it? Or yeah, like process, you know, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I think it was. I just had it. You know, I I um, I was very driven. Um, I don't know. Yeah, other than I, I didn't do anything to um, to get it, and which makes me think, well, what am I doing now? Um, to because now I'm in a phase where I don't have that drive, I don't have that ambition, yeah. I don't have that. Um, and to be honest, I'm just letting it be. Um, it's a little scary to be here, where I've always known what I wanted. I've always had a drive. I've always, um, you know, I don't, for lack of a better word, I've always fought to be an artist. Um, it wasn't always an easy road, um, but I didn't care how exhausting it was. Um, and and when I I lost that desire, like there's nothing that I'm not driven to make anymore. There's no um, uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's a hard place to be. It's a difficult place to be. And instead of forcing it, like okay, well let's just get structured. You know, I'm going to get off at 8 o'clock, and I'm going to be in my studio, and I'm just going to make something. Um, I don't feel – I think that's fine that it could help somebody, but I don't feel that it's what I should do right now. I'm just kind of letting it be and um, and trying not to freak out too much, like, oh, my God, am I ever going to paint again? Um, and um, – you know, hoping that it'll somehow I'll find my way, you know, to to some to whatever whether I'm whether it's painting or something else, I'll hopefully figure it out. I don't know. So I want to ask you: Do you ever have you ever had that, like where you feel like I just don't know what to do next? Um. No. Not not in that way. I've I've had feelings of being stuck 
um, and more through observation than anything else, kind of going, yeah, none of these paintings are actually moving forward. <laughs> I'm going in, I'm having a go, but it's not, nothing's really happening. Um, and I'm in a weird kind of space now where I've got a really good idea of what I want to do, and I'm quite excited about it, but I've just, my time has really shrunk. So I'm, um, I haven't painted in, you know, I don't know, I'd say about a month or two. And, and yet I kind of have very clearly in my head what I want to do, uh, but it's just my time has shrunk to the point where um, I kind of know I need, uh, it's not something I can run in and do 10 minutes over half an hour of. I need like a couple of hours at it, and it's just, right. that's not happening right at the moment. So I'm kind of the other end of it. Right. I mean, I'm the, kind of the opposite of I know what I want to do, but I just haven't got the time for it right now. Right. Um, yeah, so now it's kind of different. Well, I think that's good, though, that you, you know, you'll, you, eventually time will open up as long as you have, you know, you know, you have a focus. I, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I'm not, I think, I think we're similar in the same way that I'm not stressed about it. I'm not like, you know, oh, I just want to get in the studio. You know, I kind of, like, it's a choice. I could prioritize it. I could, you know, but I'm doing other things that are more that I'm prioritizing ahead of it, um, yeah. and I kind of, I'm kind of doing that consciously, so I'm okay with it. Um, so in my own way, I'm just kind of with it, <laughs> in the same way as you were saying, you're just with, with yeah. it and knowing, knowing yourself enough to kind of know, yeah, when, the, when, the, when, it, when uh, I do know what I want to do, I'm just going to, I'll just do it with the same yeah. you know, passion and intensity, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Moran again, Moran again says, what advice do you have for someone just starting an artist's career in their late 30s? Um, well, I could, I was probably, that I was in my late 30s. Um, uh, you know, boy, I, I I think the, the the advice that I give most people is find somebody to study with and study with them. Um, not everybody is um, uh, I'm only giving the advice that worked for me. Not everybody um, gets the same thing out of some people are better self-taught. I know self-taught. I think um, um Oh my God! And now I'm forgetting her name. Beacon. Um, you interviewed Katie. her. Katie. 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 <laughs> She's a friend. <laughs> um, yeah, like she was self-taught. Um, I am definitely do better with uh, a teacher. Um, I found teachers that I really loved their work, and I started working with them. Um, you know, now it's even easier because a lot of People teach online that you can study with somebody. Um, Alyssa not only gave me, um, you know, technical skills, but she showed me how to um, uh, navigate uh, in, in the gallery world. Um, she even, my first gallery was her gallery because she introduced me to her um, the owner of her gallery, and then she, um, she took me on. So that's how I got my first gallery was through Alyssa. 
Um, so th that's my advice. I wouldn't worry about, you know, you're in your late 30s. A lot of people start careers in their late 30s. They've been doing something for, you know, 20 years and they're tired of it. So they try something new. Um, you know, I don't think even if you were in your late 50s, I don't, I, you know, to me, um, it, that isn't, that isn't part of it, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with it. If, if you, if this is what you want to do, then, um, my advice is always find somebody who you admire, who does it better than you, who can teach you what they know. Um, and that's, you know, that's my advice. Because that's what works for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just add to that that um, it doesn't matter what age you are. In fact, the older you are, the better. Just not not that it's better to start, but it's better for you to start something new when you're older, meaning it it sort of extends your life. It's great for your brain. If, you know, it makes your it activates your brain in a way. Like one of the one of the things that um is not great for your brain is stagnation. So starting something new like uh, and, in, and never having a kind of retirement mentality actually keeps you it makes you live longer. So starting big, scary projects when you're 70, highly recommend it. Yes. Um, Igor Kristic in Serbia says, Hi, I would love to hear something about how to set price and also something about working with galleries. Um, so my, you know, I can only tell you what my experience was. My experience with galleries is, like I said, my first gallery, um, I got through an introduction from my teacher, who was Alyssa Mons. So that's how I got my first gallery. Um, from that gallery, other galleries would find me. Um, the gallery that I'm with now, Evoke Contemporary, um, is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I've been with them for 15 years almost, um, and that is the only gallery that I work with right now. Um, so for me, it wasn't an experience of going out and looking for a gallery. Um, I, you know, I was really, I was lucky enough to get this first gallery. I think what was happening as other people were looking, going on that gallery site and looking for Alyssa and finding me, I think that's how um, my second gallery, my current gallery, probably found me. But I know that's how other galleries have found me. Um, so, um, you know, I think also group shows are helpful if you're not with a gallery, but you can get into a group show. Um, that's how you can get your work seen, also social media. Um, galleries can find you through social media. Um, when I started, there wasn't social media. I mean, I hate to sound that ancient, but, yeah, there wasn't social media, so that wasn't an option. People were still um, taking... Um, 35 millimeter slides around the galleries. 
Um, so that's definitely opened things up. In regards to pricing, I think pricing is tricky. Um, you know, I think, well, you look at other artists who are where you're at, um, who do something similar to what you do and price them, you know, comparatively to other people that are, um, but there are much better philosophies on pricing than what my philosophy is. I know that I way underpriced my paintings in the beginning. Um, when I wanted to up the price, um, I was actually working with a different gallery in New York City and um, oh, and actually there was a third gallery. So there, a particular gallery um, mentioned to me, well, this is how you price your paintings. You figure out how many paintings you can do in a month and how much money do you need to live. So if you can do, yeah, if you need whatever, $3,000 a month and you can make three paintings a month and price them all at $1,000, you know, not taking into account that you're not going to sell them all. Um, but that was, you know, that was his general philosophy. So taking that to, into account, and it takes me three months to make a painting, and this is how much I need to live, I realized, wow, I really need to up my prices. So um, this is just, yeah, this is a sort of, this is an aside. But when I first decided that, I had a particular painting that I was taking to a particular gallery, and I said, you know, I told you that I was going to price it at this, but now um, I really have to up the price. And I upped it quite a bit. And, and I said, you know, it has to be this. So the director of the gallery kind of balked at me and, no, this is not where you're at, blah, blah, blah. Luckily, the owner of the gallery was like, oh, no, no, that's fine. Just price it at that. Um, the director of the gallery definitely tried to talk me out of it. And his, what he was saying to me was, well, you're just not at that level. Well, so when I looked at the other artists in the gallery who were at that level price-wise, what I noticed was, and this could be my own interpretation, but what I noticed was that they were all men and there wasn't a single woman. And I also knew that I had as much, um, you know, visibility as these other artists. I was getting as much, you know, um, notice as these other artists. The only difference between mine and theirs was that I was a woman. Um, it was it was very obvious to me. It, it seemed like very obvious gender bias, and I was very angry. Um, so I just said, no, this is the price. We're going to keep it at the price. If you don't want the painting, I'll take it back. But this is the price it's going to be. And, you know, and then they just, they sold at that price. Um, what I will also say is that my current gallery, I've given them paintings and priced it at something. And um, more than once, they've actually upped the price, um, telling me that I'm not pricing them high enough. We can we can price this higher. Um, so you want to find a gallery that respects what you do, 
um, and that you can work with price-wise. If you put a price on it and your gallery is like, uh, you know, I really don't think we can get that, then you either have to find a different gallery or possibly you might agree with them. Like, okay, you know, for whatever reason, I'm pricing this too high or too low or whatever. I think it's between you and your gallery. If you don't have a gallery and a lot of people sell just online, you know, that's where you just, you take into account, well, what are other similar paintings selling for that other people are doing? What, how much money do I need? Um, you know, again, I, I'm probably not the best person to, to say how to price something, but that's just my experience. Yeah. What, what sort of price um, are your paintings selling for now? Um, averaging in the $30,000 range, um, you know, depending on, I've sold paintings for $40,000, um, the larger, more elaborate ones. Um, okay. But in smaller ones, or, you know, $20,000, um, but all my paintings are fairly large. I mean, I, I don't do any, yeah. you know, they're all life-size. Um, so it, it's in that range. Yeah. And that's uh, gallery price. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm only getting half of that. Um, so, you know, I'm not getting rich over here. <laughs> over here. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm doing okay, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and when you start painting again, if you start painting again, you you have to factor that in as well, like the, the downtime, the time. Right. You know, the way actors get paid a lot because they spend a lot of time not acting. Right. And they have to, yeah. they have to keep living when they're not acting. I've, I haven't thought about that, but yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Laura Atkins, and a longtime friend of the podcast on Patreon. Thanks for the tea, Laura. It uh, continues to be lovely. Uh, she says, are you still at RJD Gallery? Love your work. Um, you know, actually, I've never been with RJD. Um, yeah, I didn't think so, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with, I'm with Evoke Contemporary. Um, uh, yeah, no, but I can see how they would make that... Um, um, confuse, make that confusion. There are uh, some, you know, artists who do similar things at RJD. Yeah. Um, okay, we're getting near the end, but before we get to the end, I want to ask you about cycling. Did I see on your Instagram that you like to go cycling? Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm big into cycling. My husband is a big cycle, really big into cycling, and he got me into it. Are you also? Uh, I am, yeah, and I was just on the last catch-up podcast, I was talking about Laroica. Do you know about Laroica in Italy? No. What is Well, just that? when I saw, saw the pictures on your Instagram, I was like, oh, I wonder are they into Laroica. Laroica is a vintage um, bike race that all um, the bikes have to be yeah. older than 1987. And it's on yeah. the white gravel roads in Tuscany, and it's brilliant. And have you done it? I've done it twice, yeah. Wow. Because my husband talks friend. about it all the time. Yes. Does he? Oh, okay. Yes. Well, you have to go. It's fantastic. It's oh, but they have, um, they have Laroica in America. I know there's one in California. Like a very, oh. like it, it, they have it all over the world now. There's Laroica in Japan. There's Laroica in the UK. 
There's one in California, but I'm not sure if there's one on the East Coast, but I'd be surprised if there isn't. And oh. it's set in the same kind of spirit, and they dress up, and they have the old bikes, and they have the the pit stops. They've got the ham and cheese and wine and bread and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that sounds fun. It, oh, it's all on the little, like a website. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's brilliant. It's a highly if you're into it, I highly recommend you you get over. You know, it's brilliant. Okay. And and I have to ask Ben, how many bikes do you have? I've got two bikes. Okay, <laughs> just because my so husband. I've got, I've got a third one. I've got a third one on the way. <laughs> yeah, that I believe. Um, my husband's always saying. Um, so it's something like how many bikes do you need? One more than you already have, or some, it's something, something like that. But everybody, all of his friends who are into cycling, um, yeah, they they have multiple. Yeah, bikes. I have no, one. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sedate. I'm pretty sedate. I've just got one for town. You know, it's got a basket mm-hmm. on the front and all that kind of thing. It's like a delivery bike. And then I have the bike. I was only saying this on the catch-up episode. I have the bike that I made, that I built myself when I was wow. uh, 16. Wow. And that's the bike I, I do Larocco with. Yeah, it's an old it's an old steel bike. It's beautiful. And, oh, that's amazing. And so I have that one. And then the, the one that I'm thinking about getting is a little bit more, well, it's not a little bit. It's, it's brand new, um, kind of Bianchi. So oh. be very I have two Bianchi. Do you? Yes. <laughs> old, old I have, or new? I have my, my get around town. They're both old. Well, old-ish. I have my get around town, Bianchi. Um, it was probably, I think it's like maybe from the 90s or something. I can't remember. But yeah. um, then I have my the, my cycling Bianchi that... Um, I it, it's not new. I got really lucky. I got it used. This very very rich man um, bought it and didn't ride it, so I got it for like a couple hundred dollars. But it's a wow. fabulous. It's their steel. It's a steel Bianchi. Um, okay. Because my husband mint green? Not let me that color. You know the classic Bianchi color. Um no no it's red. It's a red Bianchi, yeah. um, okay. and then the other one is uh, is black. The Get Around Town one is black, but yeah. But, um, so then I have to. <laughs> we're gonna. Be, this is all gonna be about cycling. But um, so the bike that you made. When you say you made yeah. your own bike, I mean like. How, yeah. Like, oh, like I bought all the parts. I, you, you know, okay. it was, uh, in the catch-up thing, I was joking. It's a bit like that Johnny Cash song about the guy who <laughs> steals this car piece by piece. I didn't steal any of the parts, but I had a friend who had a bike shop uh, in um, in Dublin. Yeah, bicycling was kind of a thing among my friends back then, and we were going on a, a cycling kind of tour of uh, France. So I was sort of saving up each week. I'd buy, you know, the chain oh, wheel, and the next week I'd buy the pedals. And I bought these, you know, I got a set of Campagnola pedals, which, you know, were very expensive. They were secondhand pedals, um, and you know, I bought it was a Mercian, which is an English. Uh, f- f- um, I don't think they make them anymore. They 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 just made frames. I don't think they didn't sell bikes or anything. They just made bike frames, and. Um, yeah, I bought the saddle and, you know, the wheels and had the wheels built and all oh, this kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, bought piece by piece wow. and then put it all together uh, as, as each piece would come in, you know. 
And then I went away. I sold it to a friend uh, when I kind of, you know, moved on to other things like girls and drinking. And then years passed, and then it's only, I think it was 2013, I reconnected with that friend, and it just, I was telling him about Laroica. And he said, you know, I still have your bike. I said, really? Yeah. So I said, can I buy it back off you? And he sold it back to me. So it was so sweet to be able to go and do the Tularaga the second time on my original (laughs) bike from when I was 16. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Right, so last question. I ask this to everyone who comes on the podcast. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing you could pass on to future generations... What would it be? It doesn't have to be about painting. It can be about anything. Mm. Uh, um, I guess what comes to mind, this sounds so simplistic, um, but just do what you want to do, which sounds very simplistic, but I don't think... Um, Maybe it's maybe it's my generation. Maybe it's um, being female, but I don't think that that's um, it's not a simple thing to do. Um, you know, I guess it, it means don't be swayed by um, by popular thought by what um, others um, by worrying about what others look down on about um, um, I don't you know I, I, I guess I guess I don't really need to say anything about it I, I mean other than do do what you want to do it, it kind of encompasses a lot I think yeah. Um, yeah I think half the trick with that is giving yourself permission to figure out or to, to hear what you want to do in the first place and then have yeah. the courage to do it yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it can get very cloudy uh, knowing what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Very good. Um, Okay, what's the best place for people to find you online? Um, I guess Instagram um, or my website is leapfrightstudio.com. Um. I, I it's the, the same for your Instagram, isn't it? It's Lee Price Studio, all one word. That's your Instagram. Yes. Now, name. people tend to message me on Instagram, and not being a person of um, technology, I ne- I rarely see those messages. Or I'll yep, see them I can attest to that because I, like I, that. Uh, <laughs> I tried to message Lee on Instagram and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I just, I didn't even know that feature existed, to be honest, for like, for years. Um, it was workshop yep. students, actually, that got me, that taught me Instagram. 
Okay, well here, I'll give you something else, right? Do you know you can, like, you can talk to people through Instagram? You can make phone calls exactly like we're doing now through Instagram. That is, that, you've just blown my mind. No, that's yeah. beyond, I can't <laughs> believe that. No, really? You can. you can. Yes, you can, yeah. It splits the screen, you know, a little screen on top, a little right. screen below. below. Who was I talking to? John McLeod. We were talking on Zoom and it didn't work out. I said, oh, sure, I'll just call you on Instagram. He's like, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll just call you on Instagram. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it would really, um, really help me to be better about technology and things like that. I think it would help any artist. I haven't gotten that far. Like, yeah. Yeah, don't tell me about calling on Instagram when I don't even know that you can message on Instagram. So, yeah, but you can, my, my, if people wanted to get in touch with me, the best way is, on my website, you I do have my email there, and you can email yeah. me. Yeah. So, yes, that works great. <laughs> yes, I answer my emails, yeah. So. Yeah, very good. Um, okay, so Instagram and your website, um, not, not on Facebook. No, no. Okay. Um, okay, brilliant. Um, yeah. Okay. So look, it's been really great chatting with you. We've been trying to get it organized for a while. Um, so I'm really delighted that we've been able to do it. Uh, I think your art is fantastic. I've been, Thank you know, you. spending a bit more time than usual with it just in this last kind of week running up to our chat. And um, yeah, it just gets, or the power of it is probably the best way to put it. I was going to say it gets more powerful the more you look at it, but I think it's the other way around. I think the more time I spend with it and looking at it, the more the kind of power in in it reveals itself, um, there it has that as you say that kind of veneer of superficial like oh everything looks light and and lovely, and um, but there is at the back you know <laughs> machinery in the back of my head was was feeling disturbed always felt disturbed right from the word go like there's something there's something else at work here, and um, the, yeah, the more time I spent looking at it and with it, the more that kind of revealed itself to to uh, to me. I mean, you described it as dark. It didn't really come across to me as dark, as but as more some kind of very profound authenticity of like there. This is a real moment here. There's, you know, I did have that sense of as you described it. You know, looking down on yourself. There was that kind of thing to it as well. But also. Um, because I'm an observer looking at somebody observing themselves, there was a lot of space for compassion of just kind of knowing, oh, I know what that feels like, and it's 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 awful, uh, but it's so real and human. And um, so I think, you know, uh, it's, I kind of marvel at the level of courage that you've had to demonstrate to um, paint those paintings. Um, even though, you know, like in a, in a way I can kind of understand how your process would insulate you from being up close with that courage all the time. You know, my dogs are barking. God, they're really, I'm on a flow here in the room. <laughs> Hang on, just one sec. Okay. What was I saying? I'm sure it was great. Um, um, all amazing things about my face. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you very much. Um, hang on, I had something else I was going to say about them. Courage, I said the courage. The resurfacing, I really, there's something very, I know you, what you explained, but there's something very hopeful about those paintings as well. Not that there isn't hope in the other paintings as well, because that kind of self-observation, I always feel, feel there's great hope in that. But there's something about the resurfacing paintings that have a different quality as well. And I really enjoyed how just sort of single-minded you are as an artist. I find it very refreshing of, um, because I've had lots of different artists of, you know, talked talk to lots of different artists on the podcast. And it is a bit easy to, particularly, you know, with in, in this field, in the figurative art field, of people being a bit careful about, oh, you know, I don't want to say I use a projector or I don't want to say I do this thing because people are going to think it's a bit less. Um, so I think it's great that you're just completely upfront about exactly what you do and why you do it and kind of uncompromising, like, oh, well, I don't care what anyone thinks about how I get where I want to get. I just want to get where I want to get. I think that's very refreshing. And I think if more artists had that kind of just, you know, confidence, really. It's confidence in your own process, and that it would be good. And I know you're in a kind of, you know, hiatus at the moment, but just from talking to you, like, you're very, you come across to me anyway, I mean, I know this is the first time that we've really chatted, uh, that um, you, you very much are an artist in your bones. So it's like, it's very obvious to me that whatever you do next, the next thing you do, whether it's fashion, you know, or the couture or the, you know, clothes-making thing, if it went in that direction, it would still be brilliant. Um, or if it's back to painting, or if it's back into, you know, uh, very, you know, splashy, wild, you know, <laughs> action paintings, it would still be great, you know, because it's, because even though, like, say, with the way you've described your how your process, um, if you if you just listen to this and you've never seen your paintings, you'd kind of go, well, they're just going to look like photographs. They're just going to there's not going to be any soul in those paintings from the way she's described how she does it. But the, the a remarkable thing is that your paintings have a tremendous heart and soul in them. So it's like it doesn't really matter. <coughs> What you do next, that's why I'm saying that with you know, confidence, is that it's, I'm pretty sure it's going to be brilliant. And I yes, certainly you. will be looking forward to seeing what that is. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. It's been so nice chatting with you. I'm so glad that we um, got to virtually meet and chat. It's been yeah. really nice. And I, I'm, I'm very flattered that you would ask me to come on your podcast. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, okay, so I keep up with everyone. I can, you know, keep in touch with everyone. So we will, you know, probably keep in touch. But yeah, we'll we'll Great. say goodbye for now. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye bye. I've never felt this good in my entire life. Make me some spaghetti. Actually, I'd prefer a cup of tea. <laughs> a cup of tea would be lovely. So, yeah, just a little reminder, mainly because every second or third person who becomes a patron has got in touch with me and said, 
you know what, I've been listening to your podcast for ages, and I didn't become a patron, not because I don't have the money, not because I don't think it's great, I just didn't get around to it. So this is a little friendly reminder that if you'd like to be a patron, you'd like to buy me a cup of tea, go to patreon.com forward slash John Dalton, gently does it, all one word, or follow the link in the show notes to become a patron. I would really appreciate it if you could do that, particularly if you've been meaning to and you just haven't got around to it. It would be great. It would mean a lot to me. All right. Thank you. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Artifacts Panels. That's A-R-T-E-F-E-X. Now, look, you know how I feel about working on canvas and the bounce. I don't like it. And I've been talking about aluminium panels for years now. I like the firmness of a wood panel, but I'm not wild about the shininess. So my rough working plan was to sort of glue canvas to an aluminium panel. I even found a signage company I could buy the big 8x4 sheets from. Did I actually do anything about it? No. Why? 